What's going on out there, Contractor Momentum Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Contractor Momentum Podcast. Some of you guys are probably going, wow, damn, Corey, you're still alive? It's been a while since we've heard from you. Yes, it has been a few months since I've recorded my last podcast, but don't mistake my silence for absence because I've been incredibly busy uh, with some business that I've got going on. So I've had a lot going on, and I just wanted to take a couple minutes here to record this podcast as we are looking squarely at a new year and cover what I think are the biggest marketing challenges and opportunities that we've got coming up here in 2021. That said, 2020, we all know was, and this is going to sound cliche, a roller coaster of a year. Uh, you know, we had the COVID thing, which kind of resulted in a big drop for most businesses in March and then in April. But then after that, I think most home service companies are the ones that I'm in contact with and I have access to the financial records after, well, by about mid-April and then into May at that point, Things kind of rebounded quickly and most of them or all of them that I know of and most of what I've heard through my contacts is that everyone finished out the year incredibly solid. So we're incredibly fortunate to kind of be in an essential in industry, most of us here. Anyways, on the marketing thing, there is a lot going on. So I'm going to start out with the challenges that I see coming up and talking a little bit about what I'm doing and how we're preparing for those. And then the biggest opportunities and where I see, you know, my businesses and other home service contracting businesses really have the biggest opportunities to gain market share and acquire new customers. So let's jump into it with the challenges. The first is site speed. Google has announced a algorithm update and they're pre-announcing this algorithm update so that people can get up to speed, <laughs> pun intended, up to speed on this algorithm update that has to do with speed. Uh, they're making an algorithm update on what they call their core web vitals. Okay, and the core web vitals have to do with how your website loads for the user. So it's not just overall page speed, uh, you know, your overall page speed score that they give you is a factor of these core web vitals, but largely this update is going to be focused on the three core web vitals and not your entire page speed, right? So I'm probably sounding confusing and yes, it is confusing and I've spent, well, I've not spent hours, but I've been paying my developer to research this page speed thing and run all kinds of tests on our websites and, you know, tests on servers and all kinds of crazy stuff here. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. So I've been investing heavily into this whole thing and it's like the more you get into it, the more confusing it gets. So, you know, what we know about it here is that it's going to revolve around the largest contentful pane, LCP, the first input delay, so the time it takes your service or the time it takes your server to respond, uh, and then the LCP being the time that it takes your website to load um, in a way that is meaningful, the largest contentful paint so that the website looks like it should or looks you know to a user like it is usable uh, on any device and then cumulative layout shift so how much does your design shift when it's loading and those are the three core web vitals now that said measuring those vitals um, well it's not hard to do you go to page speed insights just type page speed insights and google will pull up their site it's easy to measure them but actually achieving the recommended performance for them has been incredibly difficult. I think that's an understatement. Uh, damn near impossible is more realistic. So, you know, Google publishes these core web vitals and says, hey, these are the targets. But in my research, I found that, you know, even your biggest, uh, biggest websites out there like amazon.com, walmart.com, um, you know, all of those 
you know, large scale e-commerce brands or content driven websites don't even meet the core web vitals, right? That's, you know, kind of how I'm seeing it is that there's such a challenge to meet that these big brands aren't even meeting them at the moment. Right. So um, it, it's definitely a challenge. And I've sunk in, as I kind of already said, a lot of resources, in my case, money and my developers hours into meeting these. Right. And the first thing that we found that really matters when it comes to improving them is the server and hosting of your website. That has something, uh, or that's probably the biggest factor behind everything. You, if you have crappy hosting or your website is on a crappy server, you will never get anywhere with page speed. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. All of the other optimizations and stuff you can do to your website is absolutely meaningless if it is not on a fast server. The two fastest servers that I have found and uh, back in November, my developer actually set up a copy of my website. This was a copy of the Gulf Coast Aluminum website. We set it up on 16 different hosting accounts. Like We signed up to basically every one of them that somebody said was fast. And there are two companies out there I'll share with you that did incredibly well. The first one is Cloudways, and Cloudways is a platform that lets you access multiple virtual private servers um, online. So Vulture HF, DigitalOcean, those all live on Cloudways. If you sign up to Cloudways, you have access to them. So Cloudways has some options out there. Uh, they're pretty much the best, and they're the one that we're going with at the moment. And then also A2 hosting. A2 hosting has VPS as well. It's a little bit cheaper than Cloudways, uh, and damn near just as fast. We are leaning now towards, or initially when we first started this, we were setting up some of our sites and our client sites on both Cloudways and A2 hosting. Uh, and as we've gone forward, the only problem we've ran into with A2 hosting has to do with sending emails from the website. So if you have a contact form on your website, which basically every home service business does, when they are hosted on A2, the emails don't, or they do send, but they ultimately get blocked by the end recipient um, when they come from the A2 server. And there's some complicated reasons behind this. Uh, and you also run into the problem also with other servers, but on the other servers like Cloudways, there are things we can do to get the emails to send that we cannot do on A2 hosting. So for that reason, we are pretty much shifting everything towards Cloudways as being the fastest server. So uh, keep that in mind. Your server is the biggest factor behind website speed and ultimately meeting these core web vitals. That said, uh, none of my websites have met the core web vitals. And I'll talk a little bit here about what we've done and the tests and stuff and ultimately kind of where we're at. But site speed is a, or, or your server is the biggest factor behind site speed and ultimately increasing them. Although we're not quite getting these we're not quite meeting the targets. This is all very confusing stuff here. All right, so uh, ju just remember that your server is the biggest factor and there's no sense in looking at anything else until you're on a fast server. Um, A2 hosting and Cloudways are my two recommended choices and I'll put a link you know, somewhere in the show notes if you guys wanna sign up. They're, not, they're probably more expensive than you're paying for hosting, but they're not incredibly expensive. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, to be in compliance for the future, uh, for future algorithm updates, it's incredibly worth it. I've switched my businesses and all my clients 
over to them, right? Now, beyond the server, there's all kinds of other stuff out there that you can do. Um, you know, we've tested all kinds of stuff here. I mean, we, we've tested nearly every variation. We've tested switching themes on WordPress websites. We've tested disabling certain plugins and isolating certain plugins to specific pages. Uh, we've tested caching plugins. We've tested CDN content delivery networks. Um, and that you're in the CDN realm, you might recognize the name Cloudflare if you've done any research. We've tested that extensively. Uh, we've tested all-in-one plugin packages that bundle the uh, CDNs with caching and image optimization. Big one in the WordPress space is NitroPack. We tested that one. And ultimately what we found was that once you kind of get beyond you know, your basics of optimizing images and caching, everything else kind of seems like, you know, you know, chasing a wild goose or chasing a mouse or something where you don't ultimately know where you're going to end up because one option might increase one of the core web vitals, but then it comes at the expense of decreasing it. For example, here in kind of big picture stuff, Nitro Pack did incredibly well at optimizing the core web vitals. I think it got them pretty much all into the green range on the website, but it did this by basically delaying everything that was loading on the page that Google wasn't measuring. So it would take the, the ultimate page speed load time way back. I mean, it would take my page speed load time from like 1.2 seconds down to like seven, but it would you know increase the vitals to where they were in the green range, right? So how is Google going to analyze and look at that? Because we're basically manipulating the loading of the web page to meet the core web vitals, but, you know, subtracting it from the ultimate page speed time, right? So, you know, it's just kind of six in one hand, half a dozen in the other, You're just kind of moving things around. And we found a lot of that with all of the things. Uh, we did find that the Oxygen theme, which is a theme out there, a theme builder on WordPress, made things go a little faster, just a little faster, not, not a lot faster, but a little faster, you know, but is it worth rebuilding the entire site on that? Well, we don't know if that is, you know, valuable or not. Um, something else to consider too on a lot of WordPress websites is external scripts really slow these pages down. Uh, so for example, on home service business, it is non, not uncommon for people to have a chat widget on there. If you got a chat widget on there, I'm telling you, just take it off. And uh, there's another podcast I did where I ran an experiment and measured the actual performance of the chat widget and how many of them chats initiated turned into actual leads and the performance was abysmal because the user doesn't have to give up any information to initiate the chat. So people start chats all the time to ask if, you know, they can buy materials or where do you buy the materials or how do you do something? But ultimately they don't turn into a lead because they don't have to give any information up front. They just initiate that chat. So it was very poor performance. And then when you factor in the fact that the chat widgets are slowing your website down, um, you know, as if the per poor performance and lead capture was not enough, that the performance on site speed from a chat widget is more than enough to, in my opinion, say just take the chat widgets off of there. Uh, some of the other things that people have are review mechanisms or mechanisms or widgets or scripts that fetch in reviews from other platforms like Google, right? So you put the little thing on your website, it pulls in all your Google reviews and shows them on your website. Okay. And that sounds good, but that fetch in will often slow the page speed down quite a bit. So what you can do in that case is, is rather than having it on your home page or on another page, just 
isolate it to a specific page for reviews. So you just have a reviews page and it loads on there. But if you do that, you have to also make sure that it is truly just loading on that one page because what you might not realize is that these external scripts or third-party scripts or plugins even on a WordPress website, even though you only visually see them on one page, they load on all the pages. And that was one of the problems on my own website. Uh, some of the other plugins I know that do that are contact form plugins tend to do that. Not all of them, but some of them. Um, and also things like Instagram uh, plugins, right? Like plugins that pull in your Instagram posts or Facebook posts and show them. Uh, those plugins, A, are notorious for slowing down your sites, but B, they tend to render on every page on your website. So even though you might not visually see it, it's still loading on your website and it's just not visually displaying, but it's ultimately you know, coming up from your page speed or tacking on to your page speed. So that creates a problem right there. The another, another thing too that really slows down these websites is fonts. And this, this really becomes a problem when you're using a page builder, which almost everybody on WordPress is now. If you're using Elementor, Oxygen, Thrive Themes, any of them, uh, they have the option to easily add fonts, right? And they give you this whole list of like a thousand fonts. And if it's not there, you can add it, yada, yada, yada. But what you don't realize is that it has to load those fonts. So a lot of times when I look at websites, including on my own website, you'll find a dozen or more fonts that are loading on your website. And that is all slowing your website down. So these are all little things that can be done to speed it up. So, you know, if I were going to kind of summarize this speed thing here for your website, I'd say first, move it to a fast server. B, and this is where things get kind of technical, look at your technical optimization and see what can be done to load on specific pages or isolated or removed. And this is all stuff that I'm doing on my clients' websites. Um, and if you're not technically savvy, because this is a rather advanced thing to do, uh, maybe something you need to pay your website developer or manager to do, because it's certainly not gonna be something that they ordinarily include, but it can make a huge difference on your actual site speed. And then finally, um, utilize caching plugins. But big thing, uh, look to move to a faster server. I, I cannot stress that enough because everything else is kind of a moot point if you are on a slow server. Next up, another challenge here is the big iOS update that is coming. Uh, and for those of you guys not familiar with it, iOS or Apple who produces iOS, that is their iPhone operating system and it also powers Mac, I believe. Um, they have said or they have not said, but they've published, which is saying, uh, they've published basically saying, hey, we're saying and we're really making this serious, so you better listen. Uh, they are going to be disabling tracking cookies or blocking tracking cookies on their coming iOS update that'll happen in early 2021. So that means that all of these advertising platforms, particularly Facebook ads, and also Google ads are going to be blocked from using cookies, at least to the extent that they have been. And Facebook has been making a huge outcry about this because it's really going to limit the effectiveness of their ads as things are currently happening right now. You can look it up. You can look up, uh, you know, say iOS update Facebook ads, right? And you'll see Facebook is, you know, out there basically crying out loud about how bad this is going to be for them. 
That said, I don't really think it's going to be terrible. There's, you know, some things that can be done and Facebook obviously has the brain power and financial resources to figure out workarounds around it. And personally, and I, I don't know if this is going to actually happen, this is just my opinion and my own thought, is that iOS will limit it initially and then they'll eventually end up selling the data or making Facebook and all these advertisers pay for it, you know, to get back and, you know, you kind of use things as they work. But that said, right now, how the approach that Facebook is taking taking to this is saying, hey, rather than using the cookie data and why, rather than relying on the browser in these platforms, we can use your server to send us data. So Facebook has opened up and they did this probably about a year ago. They opened up what they call their conversion API. But in other words, rather than sending data through the pixel that is on the website, they're doing it through your server. And this is, the problem with this is it's difficult to set up. Uh, whereas with the cookies or the pixels, the pixel, you just put that onto your website. It's kind of like a plug and play and experienced developer can do that in all of about two minutes. With a conversion API, your server and your website actually needs to pass data through to Facebook's API. And that's a little bit more of a challenge. It's a lot more of a challenge. Facebook actually recently released a WordPress plugin that was supposed to do this, but the plugin didn't work. And uh, we installed it on the Gulf Coast Aluminum website and it didn't work, right? It was, it, it looks like it's working, but it's working on the traditional method of using the pixel. It is not sending the server API events. So then we found out it wasn't working on the website. We're like, all right, let's just set up a blank, clean testing WordPress website and we'll test it on there and see if it works. And it still wasn't sending things through the API on there. So then we opened up a Facebook support ticket about it. And, you know, after a couple of weeks of back and forth, they basically said, yep, there's a bug. We don't know what it is, man. We don't know when we're going to fix it. It's not the exact words, but they basically didn't really give us any clear definitive answer on what's going on. Uh, so in that case, we developed a custom solution ourselves. Um, you know, my developer did and myself working on it you know, in conjunction with him, we developed a custom solution to where we're sending this um, through the API already. And we've already got this up and implemented for some of my WordPress websites and some of my client sites. And it is on the top of our priority list to get this updated across all of my client websites. Because in this way, we're sending the same information we're just using a different method rather than relying on the browser and the app to utilize the pixel, we're just gonna say, all right, we're gonna sidestep you guys and we're just gonna let our website server tell Facebook server exactly what is happening. Uh, and that works pretty good. I mean, that's effective for using the, or that's effective for monitoring the user behavior on our website and our platform. Um, and I think, you know, it is a long-term solution for Facebook. The issue with where things are going to come up on Facebook and Facebook's end is A, it's difficult to set up as I've just kind of described. It's not easy, like putting the cookie on or the pixel. And I, I'm using the terms interchangeably, but Facebook's pixel is their script, which sets the cookie on the browser. Um, some technical stuff, but if I'm saying cookie and pixel, basically know it means the same thing. Uh, so where was I? Um, yeah, so we got the server and the server sending that over to Facebook and that all that's all working, but where things could be a problem 
is if not all the websites that are out there using the Pixel update to the server initially, there could kind of be some lag time where Facebook is not getting its total aggregate data that it has been, like it has been for the past years from the Pixel. It's not getting that by um, by the server API. And I think that that could cause some problems or performance issues with Facebook ads over a short period of time. But the way I see it, sooner or later, um, everybody will switch to the conversion API by Facebook and Facebook will be gathering all of the data that it used to gather by the pixel, by the API and things will go on. Or Apple will you know, give advertisers the opportunity to pay for the data and things will go on. So, you know, it's a challenge in the interim setting up the API, but in the big picture of things, I don't see it as a big problem with advertising. So, you know, big challenges, site speed is important for the Google update and then also the API. And I suggest, um, you know, that if you do a lot of advertising and you're serious about digital advertising going forward, you start working now to get those things implemented. Improve your site speed by switching to a faster server and set up that API to send the data to Facebook so you're not relying on the pixel and cookie data, which is going to be radically eliminated, or not radically eliminated, but or will be eliminated for Apple users going forward, which is a major percentage of all web traffic. Those are the biggest challenges. Now let's shift gears and talk about the biggest opportunities that are out there for marketing and driving sales in a home service contracting business. The first one is something that I've been talking about for years, and it is still really unadopted by the broad market, and that is lead and customer nurturing. Cost per lead and customer acquisition costs are going up. It used to be that digital marketing was relatively cheap compared to everything else, and I think now it might be relatively more expensive. It's certainly not as cheap as it was, say, 10 years ago, and this is not the first time that I've talked about this. Other people, you know, all businesses have pretty much gotten online um, in the online world, it's pretty much organic exposure has been radically limited. You know, we see this on social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, uh, Pinterest, etc. If you're a business, they're driving you or they're driving down your organic reach and subsequently driving you to pay for it. And businesses are paying for it. So, you know, in a world where cost per customer acquisition is increasing, making the value or increasing the value of your current customers and current leads is a huge opportunity. And most residential contracting businesses are not doing this. Why? Because it is tedious. Number one, it is tedious work to do this. And number two, the results are not directly tangible and visible. Everybody likes lead generation, right? Because you put money in, leads come out. Simple, right? You see the results right there in front of you. You know, money goes in, you advertise, you get leads or you don't. And you see the results. But with lead nurturing, you don't really see that. It takes months or years to even see the results. So for that reason, most contractors and home service businesses will never really get into this space. And for that reason, because nobody else is in this space or doing it, that makes it the biggest opportunity. And this is incredibly vital. For those of you guys familiar with the market domination method, this comes before lead generation. Because if you don't have this in place, well, you're losing money. You're wasting money on all the leads. You're going to have fall off. All right. My two favorite ways of lead nurturing are number one, catching everybody into an audience for Facebook ads and Instagram ads. So that way, you know, as soon as somebody calls into your business, they get pixeled. Uh, if somebody 
emails in or you have email correspondence, you can pixel them that way. And you can also do this from your customer list. So I do this in three ways. We get them all caught up into an audience for Facebook ads. We spend five bucks a day nurturing them with content, serving them ads, and we create new ads every single week. So that way, when a customer calls in, boom, 10 minutes later, they're getting hit with our content-based ads on Facebook. They're not ads that say get quote. They don't say anything you know related to sale. They're just informing the customer about our business and our services and staying right in front of them. And we're creating new ads every single week. So in that way, they're seeing us constantly. They're constantly being reminded of who we are. So if they get an estimate today, you know, six months down the road, when they get more serious about it, they're going to come back. Second way is by email marketing. And we send a weekly email. And then we also send an automated follow-up email to everybody that opened that weekly email. Creating that content every week, week in and week out, is a very tedious and time-consuming process. So I see a lot of businesses, you know, and a lot of people will hear me say it, and they'll go out there and they'll do it for a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. And they'll be like, well, you know, I'm not really seeing the return on this. And then they just shut it down and stop there. But again, that's what makes this such a big opportunity because nobody is doing it and nobody is sticking with this long term. To really track the results, you have to measure your conversion rates and your closing rates over the course of a year, right? And actually see what's happening to your leads. And if you're doing it consistently for a year, I mean, I know because I've done it and we've been doing it for few years at this point, if not several years, probably about five years, you know, we've tracked the conversion rates over a year and we see that, you know, our conversion rate for a lead that comes in until it sells or, or how many of them over the course of the year sell or how many leads come in and sell within a year, that rate has increased, right? So we see a lot of times our initial rate on closing is very low. I mean, maybe some would say abysmal in my business, right? But over the if you measure it over a 30-day period, but if you look at over the course of a year, our close rate is a lot higher. And that's because we're doing a lot with lead nurturing. So no matter where our leads come from or how much our leads cost, we're going to sell more, we're going to close more, and at higher prices than any of our competitors. So for that reason, we can pay more for leads and we can absolutely drown people out. Lead nurturing, incredibly big opportunity. And as I described, not many people do it and stick with it. But for those that do, the return on it is countless. And then machine learning. Okay, so I know machine learning is a lot of a buzz or kind of a buzzword. And I don't really like learn using buzzwords. So let me kind of dissect this. When I say machine learning, uh, I'm talking about conversion optimized advertisement platforms and letting them take advantage of machine learning. The two that I'm going to speak about here and the two big ones that are out there are Facebook and Instagram ads. We'll call them Facebook ads. And know that when I'm talking about Facebook ads, I'm ultimately wrapping Instagram into it because uh, it's all done through the Facebook advertising platform. And then also Google pay-per-click ads. All right. Now, the thing is, there, well, there's a couple factors here and a lot of contractors don't take full advantage of this because number one, they're not running these platforms to optimize for conversions. Facebook has a little boost post button, right? And they've got all kinds of little vanity metrics out there. They've got reach, they've got engagement, um, they've got traffic and clicks, etc. right? But when you're doing that, you're not really optimizing for a conversion event or taking advantage of machine learning. To be taking advantage of the power of machine learning with these platforms, you have to be optimizing for a conversion event. And that is somebody requesting an estimate, either somebody uh, submitting a web form or somebody calling in. 
right? And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about machine learning. I'm talking about monitoring or measuring that conversion, sending it back to the advertising platform and letting the advertising platform find more people that do that. Uh, so, you know, I just covered Facebook there and, you know, kind of the mechanisms they have that people use that are not machine learning. That's reach, um, traffic, etc. And in a sense, they are machine learning, but they're not machine learning for an event that's valuable to your business. Um, you know, and on the flip side of that, you've got Google Ads. And Google Ads, I think, is probably the worst at kind of, or the best at deceiving their users. And that is, they create all these little vanity metrics, kind of like the reach and engagement and clicks I was talking about with Facebook. Google Ads does it basically in a different way. They have clicks, right? And people look at their click-through rate and that doesn't matter. People look at their cost per click. People look at the total number of clicks. And then they even get a little bit more uh, tricky with it. And then they start creating conversions in your account, right? So if you use the map ads and you've got the map extension under your pay-per-click ads and somebody clicks on the actual address to trigger a pop-up of your map app or of the user's map app, Google ads will report that natively. If you, unless you delete it, they will start reporting that as a conversion in your Google ads. Uh, if you do a call only ad in Google ads, by default, if somebody clicks on that phone number to call you, Google ads will report that as a conversion. But if you actually break things down, what you'll realize is that just because somebody clicks on your phone number does not mean they actually connect. All smartphones have the little pop-up now that says, you know, do you want to call this number, right? And I tested this a couple of years ago, and what we found was something like less than 40% of users that click on it actually connect. So it looks to you in the platform that they're serving you like, oh my gosh, I'm getting all these conversions. But those conversions that they're giving you are nothing more than vanity metrics. So you have to have, to make this work, you have to have the right conversion event set up. And I see this all the time in pay-per-click. Uh, a lot of times I'll speak with clients and they're like, well, you know, um, they my advertising agency produces this report. And when you start breaking it down and looking at the conversions, you're like, well, yeah, they may have generated 100 conversions, but that was just a click on your address. That didn't mean that they were actual quote requests. Or another thing, while I'm on the topic of pay-per-click that I see often, is the advertising company will put a phone number on the website and then they start reporting all the calls from the website. So they'll present an invoice of, say, $1,000 for the month for our services and $4,000 in advertising spend, right? $5,000 total, and that got you 200 phone calls. But when you really dissect it, the actual phone calls that came from pay-per-click is only like a handful. Right. And then in other words, this person's spending a few hundred dollars per phone call. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so th there's a lot that goes on with it. If you're running pay-per-click ads or Facebook ads, you have to make sure to, uh, before you can take advantage of machine learning, that you've got a conversion event that is isolated and trackable. And a lot of people, like 99% of people fall off there. Right. Now, I already do that stuff for my own business and my clients. So here's where I am lacking in the machine learning factor. And that is the sheer volume, the sheer volume of conversion events uh, that we're generating in the value behind generating more conversion events. Okay, so when you've got all the conversions set up properly uh, and it's sending all this data back and the machine learning process is starting and optimizing for these conversion events, which are quote requests. 
you need actual conversion events so that the process can fully learn. And in Facebook ads, you might see this when you start a new ad set. It tells you, you know, when it's learning and when it is learning limited, meaning it isn't getting enough conversion events, and then when it's active, when it's actually getting a lot of conversion events or enough conversion events to make things happen. And in Facebook ads, that number is 50 conversion events within a week is what it needs to complete learning. Well, the reality is, is that most people advertising on Facebook are not getting that 50 conversion events a week. And in my business, we were not getting consistently 50 conversion events a week. You know, what we would do at GCA is through the spring and our, our busy season, which is going to be the end of winter, spring, and then beginning of summer, we'd crank our budgets up to where we're spending several hundred dollars a day on Facebook ads, pay-per-click ads, etc. right? But then as the season would kind of change and the tide would start going out and the market is contracting, we would see our cost per lead go up. And then subsequently, I would decrease the ads budget. And that kind of, you know, makes sense, at least right off the bat, right? We're not getting enough leads or our cost per lead is going up. So let's stop spending money on it, right? And in that case, our ads would ultimately leave the learning phase. Now, uh, you know, that's how I had operated for quite some time. And now recently here, over the last couple of months, I started working with some advertising clients on a much bigger scale, national level advertising. Uh, and I'll kind of share a little bit about what I'm doing there because that's something that I've been up to over the last few months. And that is I've been working with national level clients. And when I say national level clients, I'm talking about franchise home service companies that have operations in several major markets, more than 10 major markets. And they're buying leads on a large scale. So what I'm doing is I'm running ads to generate leads, performance marketing. I'm running ads using my own money to generate the leads. And then the leads get sold to these companies that I'm generating for. And you know they pay me a fixed price per lead. And there's, you know, some other parameters behind it. Um, but that's generally how it works. But, you know, when I'm working for these clients, I'm utilizing, because we're covering, you know, other markets, I'm utilizing much higher budgets. And when I say much higher budgets, I'm talking over $10,000 a day. Like, yes, I am spending over $10,000 a day of my own money on Facebook ads. For everybody that's out there listening and wondering if that's what I just meant, that is what I meant. Right now, in doing this, we're generating more than 50 conversions a week. I mean, we're, we're generating far more than we need to actually exit the learning phase and complete it. And the results that I'm seeing from this are incredible. And they're, they've made me realize that I think I've been missing something out, you know, even on the local business level where we're just in one major market. I ran a test and I split tested two ad sets, one of which I let complete the learning phase. The other one had a budget that was so low, uh, maybe like $50 a day versus $1,000 a day, right? So the $1,000 a day one would complete the learning phase. The $50 a day one would be stuck perpetually in the learning phase. Uh, and I spent several thousand dollars on this test. And what I found was the ones that complete the learning phase were getting leads that were over or getting conversion events. We'll just say conversion events in, in the context of home services. Uh, in this discussion that is leads, but it was getting conversion events at a cost that was over 30% cheaper and it was getting them at a much more stable pace, right? So even when the market is going out and things are in a decline and the market is contracting and services are out of season, you still get a much lower 
cost per conversion when you are letting the machine learning algorithm and the platform you're using get enough data to optimize for that event. You're still saving money. Uh, even though your cost per lead might go up, all things relative, your cost per lead and subsequently your cost per customer is going to be better when you're getting enough conversion events to um, actually let these machine learning things do the work. Uh, that was on Facebook ads and Facebook ads published or has a publication or their documentation says 50 conversion events in a week is what you need to complete the learning phase. Uh, and if you do not maintain that, if you know you go a month and it's not getting that 50 in a week, it will actually switch back to learning limited. So that indicates that it's still learning. So it's perpetually learning and it needs 50 a week for it to really do its thing. Google Ads and pay-per-click doesn't have any published documentation on it. They don't have a published number. But I also ran the test with Google Ads and I set one uh, campaign to get at least 50 a week and the other one you know, was well below it at like 30 a week. And I got about the same results from Google Ads as well. So I don't know if it's a magic number of 50 or if it's just kind of a the more it gets, the better it does type of thing. Right. So what does that mean on a local level for a local home service business in one market? Well, I would say that you need to be getting at least 50 conversion events a week from Facebook ads, no matter what the time of the year or seasonality is. So um, in my home service companies, going forward, I'm going to plan for and budget to spend enough money at any cost that we're at least getting 50 conversion events a week so that we are fully taking advantage of machine learning. And I think that is something that I have possibly been missing out on um, you know, throughout the last few years and being too conservative with my ad spend. I'm, you know, Now that I've been working with much bigger budgets here, I'm seeing that there's a big opportunity in taking full advantage of machine learning and getting the conversion events. So, uh, you know, for those of you guys out there that are running 20 or $30 a day budgets on Facebook ads, you know, if you're getting one or two leads a day, that's not enough to really make the most of it and really take advantage of this opportunity. You got to be spending enough money to get that 50 conversion events in a week. And I am planning to do that on a local level uh, going forward here. And that always brings up the next question. What about, you know, showing it to an audience that is small and too much? Well, my audience for the aluminum business is only about 150,000 people in our local area. 150,000 plus or minus 10,000. So it's not a very big audience. Uh, but what I've found in this is that you can really goose things up and show things to people uh, at a much higher volume than I thought and still get the conversions. So... Uh, for example, uh, not, not for example, but how I'm going to be approaching this going forward is we're going to be running one ad at a time. And we're going to run it until that ad reaches a frequency above 2.5. And that's how many times an individual person sees that ad. So if that audience, if people in that audience are seeing the ad, you know, about two and a half times, and it's starting to grow up from there, up close to three, then we're going to create another ad inside of that ad set. So uh, we're going to be running one ad at a time, isolating it until we max it out, which, you know, might be a week. It might be a month. I don't think it'll be a week, but it'll probably 150,000 people. We might blow that out in a month. Then we create another ad. So that's how we're going to be doing it. And, you know, I think that uh, there's been a 
too much discussion and too much weight to the size of an audience and, you know, saying, oh, you need a big audience or you're going to burn them out. Or if you've only got 100,000 people, you can only spend $20 a day. Um, that's just plain wrong because I know that we've spent $1,000 a day on a 150,000 person audience. And quite frankly, uh, from my research and my data, we're probably not really even coming close to maxing it out. We could probably get that up to a few thousand dollars a day in ad spend on an audience of just 150,000. So those are the big, big opportunities. Lead nurturing something that's incredibly easy to do. Uh, it just takes work. It doesn't take a lot of money. It takes a lot of work and consistency and discipline, something that many business owners lack, I will say. And then also taking advantage of machine learning, making sure you've got conversion events that are isolated and set up for tracking. And then finally, when you have that set up, that you're spending enough money to get those conversion events into or out of the learning phase on whatever platform you're using. So those are the biggest challenges and opportunities that I see in marketing for 2021 in the home service space. Um, you know, going beyond that, we don't know what the year will hold. We've still got this COVID thing lingering over us, but it seems like for the sake of business, all businesses have pretty much learned to adapt and operate with it. And with more people staying home, we're seeing more people spend money on their homes. So I guess that's been lucky for us. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't really have it any other way where it's lucky for us and we're in that business. So that's a wrap on this episode, guys. If you have any questions, head on over to the Facebook group, Contractor Momentum Lounge, uh, drop a new post in there, drop a comment somewhere underneath this thread. I'm signing off on this one, guys. Take care and have a kick-ass 2021.